turnable space. I, I took that for granted when we were here before. Uh, a safe place for our, our children and our families in the back. I took that for granted. A large place for us to meet, a beautiful piano. Well, just let it be said, I'm thankful today. I'm thankful to be back in, in, in the morning time. So the Lord has blessed us and we are back again. Let us go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 36 this morning. And as we move into this last portion of chapter 2 in 1 Samuel, we are going to see an immediate contrast. To this point, we have been blessed in observing Hannah's faith. We've seen it as a strong faith in the Lord. We've seen her joy at God giving her a child. And even more importantly, the exaltation in God bringing salvation to his people. Symbolized by the fact that he's, he's bringing Samuel. And so this is quite a contrast as we begin our passage today and read that the sons of Eli were worthless men. So please stand as we read God's word. It's a little bit longer passage today. So uh, for those of you, especially children who have been uh, preparing and reading and, and looking forward to this passage, this is the whole thing. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come, while the meat was boiling, with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home, and indeed the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord." A little bit further, now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him, but if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. 
Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house. So there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons Hophni and Phinehas shall be a sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever, and everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. That is... A difficult passage. Not difficult to understand some of it, but difficult to take in. So let's pray that the Lord would bless our understanding this morning. Father, as we look at your word and and try to understand the full scope of what took place here with Eli's family and the judgment that you brought upon his home and his children and his grandchildren, Lord, help us to understand these things and then apply them to our own homes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the phrase worthless men in verse 12 in Hebrew literally means men of Belial. And that that idea of Belial, of utter worthlessness, was so strong that over time the name Belial actually came to be used in the Hebrew to be a name for the devil. That's how strong that word and concept was. And of course, that's, that's an appropriate description for Eli's sons, not only because of their sinful behavior, but as verse 12 goes on to say, they did not know the Lord. So they did not know the Lord, therefore they were of their father, the devil. But I want you to let that sink in for a moment, because who are these two men? They're priests. They're Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of the high priest, Eli, who themselves were serving at the tabernacle of all places, the tabernacle in Shiloh, the center of worship of Israel. They were priests who did not know the Lord. Yes, and obviously that's not very good. And look at what these corrupt priests did. According to verse 13, they violated the Levitical law. They took portions of the sacrifices that belonged to the Lord. If those sacrificing protested, Hophni and Phinehas would threaten them with violence. And so that's the situation to which Samuel is placed. I'm sure Hannah probably didn't know all that was going on behind the scenes as she devoted Samuel in faith 
to the service at the tabernacle. And we aren't given any additional details about Samuel's early life, only that according to verses 18 through 21, he ministered before the Lord, that he grew in the presence of the Lord. Did Eli protect Samuel from his older sons? We don't know. We do see that each year that Eli blessed Elkanah and Hannah and that Samuel seems to have fared well. We're not told that Elkanah or Hannah had or thought that anything was amiss when they came each year to visit with Samuel. Additionally, in chapter 3, Eli calls Samuel my son, implying that he felt some tenderness towards Samuel. But at any rate, even if Samuel were left alone, Hophni and Phinehas, hardly good models, would you agree, for a young man? And it was only by the Lord's grace that Samuel was preserved from the sins of these older men. Now turn your attention back to verse 22. It says, Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing and how they were sinning. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all of these people. And he even goes on to say, it is no good report that I hear. And he warns them how God will stand against them and judge them if they will not correct their ways. And then we read, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, and so Eli removed them from the priesthood. It doesn't say that, does it, on that last part? That's what we would expect a faithful high priest to do. We would expect an engaged active father to actually say, you do not belong in the priesthood. That you know, what we often hear amongst one another, right? The office is above the man. This is a sacred duty, a sacred office to serve as a priest before the Lord God of Israel. And your conduct is not becoming of a priest, therefore you should not be a priest. And may the Lord have mercy on your soul for how you have blasphemed Him before all the people. That's what we should have heard from Eli. Instead, we find in chapters 3 and 4 that Hophni and Phinehas remained priests until the day that they died. And we realize, you know, it is not that Eli was ignorant of their sin. We're told he had heard about their evil dealings from all the people. In fact, he was even upset by their deeds. He clearly tells them that they're sinning. The problem is that he was passive. And while he complained about his son's behavior, he did not discipline them, nor did he remove them from their position. And if you look for a moment at chapter 3, verse 11, you see these words, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle, means they will be shocked when they hear this report. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to the end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. 
Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And I hope you noted the comment, especially as I emphasized it in verse 13, Eli did not restrain his sons. And so in going back to chapter 2 and reading verse 25, we see, nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. If you're struggling with the last part of that verse, where it says that the Lord desired to kill them, let me explain that we see the same thing in the book of Exodus. God told Moses that the Pharaoh would not heed Moses' voice because he would harden Pharaoh's heart. See, God has not chosen to be merciful to all in electing them to salvation. I know that's a hard statement to hear. Because we would want to see a good ending with Eli's sons. We would love to see a more merciful stance towards Eli and his house. But the truth is that Hophni and Phinehas were responsible for their sin. And God did not choose to have mercy upon them and change their hearts. Instead, he gave them over to their darkened minds and the natural thing that takes place, like the Pharaoh, as that they became harder and harder and harder against the ways of the Lord. And when the verse says that the Lord desired to kill them, it means that rather than change their heart, that and draw him to himself, God had determined to judge them in their wickedness. Even as the Lord would say of Pharaoh, that I have chosen to raise him up in order that I might bring him down so that I might display my glory before all Israel. Those are difficult passages to wrestle with, but here's, I think, an even more difficult part where not for God's long-suffering, He would judge each of us for our sins at any moment. So we need to make no mistake, there is no neutral ground with God. We are either, you are either His child or you are at war with Him and His enemy. And if you are at war with Him, He is storing up His wrath against you and you are in danger of imminent judgment that is a very clear principle of scripture as difficult as it may be to grapple with now as we get back to Eli I hope you can see that while Eli knew the truth he would not follow through upon the truth that he knew he would not take action the passage tells us he was old chapter 4 tells us he was also extremely overweight, which is meant to say that he had trouble getting around. And if the example of other passive fathers in Scripture is any indication, even when Eli was younger, though, he likely failed to adequately discipline his children, his sons. So his age, his physical challenges, and his, the entrenched behavior of his grown children only makes things worse that had a foundation early on. Now some of you men may be passive husbands or fathers. You may have idealized manhood as the working professional. And you've learned to wrap yourself up in work. And have left the executive tasks to your wife at home. 
And in turn, your wife has learned to be the one who must make judgment calls all day long to interpret policy, to regulate sibling interactions, to maintain order and peace in the household. And when you arrive back at home, you find it easy to let her just continue in that role that she has engaged in all day, continuing to direct and discipline the children while you enjoy much-deserved relaxation. And God's response to Eli's failure to restrain his sons leads to several consequences. You can look at them as I scan the second half of chapter 2. First, verse 25 says, There came a point that the sons, used to not being given any follow-through from their father, eventually got to the point where they simply ignored him. Simply ignored him. Do any of you see that happening in your homes? Is it taking two, three, four times for your children to listen to you and to do what you have asked? Is that because you're not following through on consequences or that you have no consequences? Are you failing to restrain them and they are learning that they can ignore you or play two parents against one another? Second, verse 31 says that God promised that all of the future men, grandsons and great-grandsons of Eli's family, would not grow old. Does that seem harsh? If it does, it's likely because we as parents are not understanding the sacred duty of shepherding our homes that God has called us to. What it should do is it should bring soberly into focus how important active shepherding of our children is. God says that the consequence was because Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. I want you to let that comment sink in for a moment. Eli honored his sons more than he honored God. It was more important to Eli that his sons be happy and comfortable and not troubled. More important to avoid conflict in the home, arguments and and friction than to honor God. And God really put it as these two contrasts. Me or them. Third, verse 34 says that the specific children had blasphemed against God. And that Hophni and Phinehas would die a violent death. Last, the position of influence and authority that Eli had and that would have descended from him onto his children, onto his grandchildren, was removed and given to others. And his family would end up poor, begging for bread from those who would become the officiating priests. And so, as you, as you wrap your mind around that, you, you have to say this is incredible. The severity of consequence the generational impact due to Eli's neglect. Unless we think, again, that this is mostly about Hophni and Phinehas. Unless we think, wow, God is really mad because this is an Aaron's son type situation where they're offering strange fire, right? Back in in the earlier books of of Moses, the Pentateuch, that this is Hophni and Phinehas. They, They have really wrecked things for their dad. That's not what God emphasizes. He says, for the iniquity that Eli knew and the fact that he did not restrain them. 
So if that describes any of you, particularly you fathers, the only way to overcome this is to turn your heart back to your families. You have to be the shepherds that God has called you to be. There are aspects, look, there are aspects to Eli that suggest that he loved the Lord. He was appalled by his son's behavior. He was tender towards Samuel. He was kind to Elkanah and to Hannah. He gave right instruction to Samuel to heed the voice of the Lord. And when Eli heard God's judgment, chapter 3, verse 18 says that he accepted that judgment and said, that's from the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And finally, in chapter 4, we read that as the ark was sent out into battle against the Philistines, that Eli's heart trembled for the ark of God. We see a man who's moved by many of the right things. The kind of man that all of us would say, yeah, he's a good man. But Eli did not honor the Lord. At the expense of restraining his children, in verse 29 of 1 Samuel 2, God says that this was the same as scorning his sacrifices and offerings. And again, it's sobering to realize that if you do not honor God in your home, that it may in fact affect how he views your worship. Because it is not enough to just say that you love the Lord but will not honor him in one of the most sacred tasks that he's given you, which is to train and raise children in the ways of God. So many families find that their children are getting older and becoming more and more disobedient, disrespectful, out of control. Most of the time behind that unruly child, there is a smiling, passive father or mother or both who are not disciplining And are simply saying like Eli, what can I do? I keep telling her to come. She doesn't come. She just runs off. I've told him to be respectful. But you know, boys, they're full of energy. On top of that, in today's culture, it's tempting to excuse a lot of a lack of consistent discipline on everything from attention deficit disorder to genetic character problems. But discipline actually proves that you love the Lord and love your children. Proverbs 13.24 reminds us, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And it reminds us as we recently went through the book of Hebrews, God's loving discipline of us as a father should love his child. When you sin and allow yourself to be mastered by fleshly habits, you are elevating something in place of God. And so as a parent, we are looking at that idolatry that is taking place in our child's heart and in their life, and we are going, this leads to death. And I honor the Lord, and I honor actually you most by recognizing that and disciplining you and turning you from that to your good for your life. 
After all, what better result? I mean, what is God's goal for us? The goal of God's discipline is sanctification. It's eternity in His presence. And that is the same on a smaller level goal of our discipline of our children. And so the question I have for you parents, are you purposefully, purposefully disciplining your children with the goal of fitting them for heaven? To address the idols of their hearts. Or are you primarily making them scholars? Are you primarily making them laborers? Are you purposefully disciplining your children or are you reacting in anger and irritation at what you are seeing as this full-orbed, rotten fruit that's starting to be produced on the branches of their lives? Are you even regularly and consistently disciplining? Could you write down the specific biblical principles that you are enforcing and what your long and short-term goals are for your family and for each of your children? Have you purposefully asked a very important question? What does each child, not just all of my children as a whole, you know, kind of my, all my children need to have a, a, a life filled with the aroma of Christ in our home. And yes, that is true. But have you looked at each individual child with their strengths, with their weaknesses, and asked, what is this child struggling with? And how can I apply the Bible directly to his or her life? Friends, maturity is not an inevitable part of growing older. It will not happen naturally in your children if you do not train and discipline them. Your child would indeed grow older, but he or she will grow more entrenched in foolishness and wickedness like Eli's sons. Except by the gracious, miraculous intervention of God. But the normal way that he has appointed to bring life, sanctification, and maturity to children is through godly parents. As Proverbs 22.15 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of correction will drive it from him. Psalm 51.5 Behold, I was brought forth in sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. Our children are born with a sin nature. They are born towards foolishness, and because it's bound up in their hearts, we need to understand what the world calls as phases is in reality the outworking of a sinful nature at various stages in their life. They are symptoms of a condition which, if left unchecked, will express itself eventually in a flat-out ignoring of what you are doing in their lives. And it will continue into adulthood, just like Hophni and Phinehas, and affect their marriages and their families, potentially even their eternal lives. And so, friends, we must be passionate about these things because we see example 
after example in the scriptures of this type of situation. It's not just Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. It's David and Absalom. David and Amnon. David and Adonijah. It's Samuel and his sons, ironically. Many others. It's helpful to remember that we are instructed to be more than just teachers of our children about the Lord. Even Psalm 145 tells us to commend and to praise God's works to the next generation. Psalm 78 instructs us to go and look back at the examples of unfaithfulness and disobedience and to warn the next generations about what happened. You see, many of you are doing a good job of integrating the Bible and things about God into your curriculum, into your family worship, but we must remember that there is more to discipling our children than just getting right information into their minds. Eli lived and worked where? At church. Eli lived and worked at the tabernacle, at Shiloh. I would say Hophni and Phinehas, they were pastor's kids. They were, they were children who were raised in church culture, worship culture of Israel. They saw family after family come every year, like an Elkanah and a Hannah, rightly giving many of them their offerings to the Lord. We, we even see in that exchange of how many of them recognized the Levitical law and said, no, you know, let us burn the fat first. You then can have whatever portion you want, but let me be obedient to the Lord. They were constantly surrounded by religious, church, worship, culture, and believing, worshiping families. There is no guarantee of godliness just because we are in a good church environment. And what we learn from Eli is that there can be a significant significant difference between knowing God and knowing Him personally. Hophni and Phinehas are said to have not known the Lord. And the Hebrew word for did not know carries more than just a lack of understanding. Here's where I think it becomes practical for our families. Maybe because of the culture that we have and our time that many of you families are spending in, in family devotions and in, in talking about the things of Scripture, it may be that your children have probably a more comprehensive knowledge of the Bible than most other children do. But that's not the most important thing. Do they know the Lord? Do they obey the Lord? Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, you will obey me. Do they long for the things of the kingdom? And so the substance of knowing the Lord is a reverent, fearful awe of God coupled with a gratitude for His redemption that leads to a greater self-awareness of our sin 
and leads to a diligent meditation upon his word and commitment to obey his laws. So compare Hophni and Phinehas with Samuel. At least as children, young men. As we see at the start of chapter 3, Samuel possesses a diligence to listen to those in authority. Multiple times the voice of God calls out to him and he runs to Eli to serve. You called me. What can I do? When Eli tells Samuel this, the Lord, we read in verse 10 that he said, Speak, for your servant hears. That's what we want to see in our children. When we speak to them the voice of God, when we speak to them His Word from the Scriptures, we want to hear, see the ears that are eager to hear, for their servant is listening. We want to see a diligence. I like how we read in verse 19 that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. That is what we want with our sons and daughters. We want to be able to see not that rotten fruit of increased idolatry, increased self-absorption, increased self-centeredness, increased disobedience and ignoring of what we are giving them as direction. And instead we want to see the, the ripe, lovely fruit of increased humility, increased self-awareness. Increased rapidity towards confession and asking for forgiveness. The desire to be at peace and to seek peace. The desire to love and obey God. Now as we end today, I want to redirect your attention back to verse 35 in our passage where God says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Who shall do according to what is in my heart, in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Many believe that that priest referred to in this verse is Zadok, who's a descendant of a different Levitical family than Eli's. Zadok was certainly faithful to God, who was faithful to God's appointed kings, David and Solomon, and even when the Israelites became idolaters under future wicked kings and were ultimately exiled to Babylon. Ezekiel 40 says that the descendants of Zadok were the only faithful ones. So certainly, Zadok is is potentially what we would consider an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy. Another possibility that some have suggested is actually Samuel, who served David also like Zadok. Although Samuel is never specifically described as a priest, but rather as a prophet. But I want you to note that in this this prophetic word by God, it is the priest for whom God builds a sure house. And that this priest is said to go in and out before God's anointed forever. And it suggests perhaps that while Zadok may be an immediate fulfillment, that maybe Zadok is symbolic of, of really Jesus, who is both the anointed one, but also the high priest. And while the Old Testament priests held office until they died, Christ, our high priest, because of his indestructible life, as Hebrews 7 says, has a priesthood that is not after the order of Aaron and Levi, but after that of Melchizedek. It has no beginning and no end. And so Zadok and Samuel, perhaps possible immediate fulfillments, but they are shadows of what Christ will be for his people. 
And he's not only the perfect priest and the perfect anointed one, but he is also the perfect leader. And so in contrast to the poor leadership of Eli, Jesus is the leader who honors and obeys God, who disciplines his people and does not fear man. He is the king who serves his people and the priest who leads them into true worship. And so I want to ask, within the context of what we've been looking at this this morning, who among you will be like Christ rather than like Eli? Verse 30 again says, Those who honor me I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Who will choose to honor God even at the expense of disappointing children or having to be the bad guy? Who will have God's principles and goals in mind and tailor what they give their children and where they direct them? Who will be willing to do the work necessary even if it means more time than it seems that we have in the day, even if it means that we must cut back on what seem like other high priorities? We do not want to see God's judgment against our home or our children's homes or our grandchildren's homes. This is not just... God being mad with me, Dad. This is God's judgment perhaps coming against generations. I want my worship to be acceptable to God. I want Him to feel like I am honoring Him and not scorning my sacrifice. We want God to honor us even as we honor Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that we have in you an amazing, glorious, holy God. Lord, you are gracious to us. You have blessed us with so much. And I ask that you would help us to rightly treat Our families, the roles to which you've called us outside the family, whether it be employ- as employers, neighbors, leaders in churches, Lord, help us to remember that the way that we lead, the way that we discipline, the way that we treat the rest of our life is a reflection on whether we are honoring you or not honoring you. And Lord, as we turn our hearts back to you and to our families, I pray that you would bless. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.